Welcome to Habits You Love, a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, and spiritual evolution. I'm Kayla Fazio, the host, and I take you on the journey of my own trauma healing and share real, raw, and authentic life situations. My mission is to expand your mind to what you think is possible for you, provoke thoughts of looking at your own healing you may need, and help you discover the power you have within you to build healthy habits and create a life you love. If you haven't yet, click the follow button and leave a review. Also, check out the Habits You Love community on Facebook where you can find even more resources, healing practices, and support. Now, let's get to the episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Thank you for listening. If you still are and you're listening to this, <laughs> it means you're coming back for more, which I can only hope and aspire to do is to bring you guys some real life juicy knowledge and real stuff. Really not about any of the fake portraying life as being perfect anymore. At one point, I think I did a little bit. I was trying to make everything look bright and shiny and perfect and no worries in the world but now I feel like I'm complete opposite so hopefully these episodes are not too much of Debbie Downers and you're getting some good education out of them but I do want to bring you real life stuff because it happens to all of us whether or not anyone talks about it or not so I wanted to do this podcast because this is actually something that I am working on in real time most of the time we hear things from people after they have already overcome something or after they have achieved something. And it's so much easier to look at them and be like, wow, they don't have issues or they overcame that really quick. I've never even seen them struggle. And then we kind of get into this comparison thing and we're like, why am I not there? Why do I not have what they have? Why have I not healed as much as they have healed? But you did not see their struggles. You did not see all the pain that they went through. You didn't see what they lost in their losing season, so to speak. So rarely do we hear of people sharing their struggles in real time. But that is what I am here to do today. So I want to talk about a couple things. It's going to be about money, but it's going to be a little bit about financial abuse from a toxic relationship, a narcissistic relationship. This is a topic that I have been really, really studying the past, really the past five months, working on and changing my beliefs around. So I'll get into that and why I'm working on it so hard these days. So I don't know what your beliefs are around money. Some people believe money only comes in exchange for the work that they put in, you know, hours in, money given, trading time for money. That it takes really hard work and you can only become truly successful when you have worked for 60 years of your life and saved up enough for retirement that you can live on until you die and you're just, you know, trading your time for money until it's time to retire. So as an entrepreneur for the last seven years, this has never really been my mentality with money. I've never... (laughs) pictured myself going into a job, only getting paid a certain amount, no matter how much work I do. The only corporate job I've had in the last 
10 years was for eight months. I worked as a receptionist for a really fun company, but it was kind of like you had to climb the ladder. So every woman, I know that's very sexist, had to start as a receptionist and you got to work your way up. So I did that for eight months and I was miserable. I mean, absolutely miserable. So I've always had jobs where I make my own schedule or been very flexible and I've taken so many side hustles. I've started so many little fun businesses and, and all the things. So I've never really had that mentality with money where it's just like you go get a corporate job and that's all you do for 60 years and then you retire. I think that's because I saw my dad being entrepreneur and own his own businesses. His income was never capped. Like randomly he could get a really big check from something. And then, you know, so that's just what I witnessed growing up. So not to say that's right or wrong. Everyone has their own beliefs, but that's just been my belief for a really long time. So I know this is or can be a very controversial topic. So I want to be sensitive to everyone's beliefs and not saying one way is better than the other. But recently, God Universe has been showing me this is an area I need to start to educate myself on and how it has shaped my life because we all need money to survive. And I personally believe that money is just energy, that money is just an energetic exchange, that money can literally never run out, that it's constantly circulating and can come into our lives any second of any day in any multiple ways possible. And it's not tethered to a job or hard work. That is my beliefs. That is what I believe. I believe I can, as an entrepreneur, I could be like, oh, I want to sell this and like make some money today, you know? So I don't ever think that, oh, I need to go into work tomorrow, get my hourly wage, and then in two weeks I'll get paid. Like I said, that's been my mentality for so long. So what I didn't realize is how bad my toxic relationship put so many money traumas, money beliefs, limiting beliefs, lack, scarcity, into my life. It has been a hindrance, a work in progress ever since I've gotten out. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about my money history growing up, just so you can maybe get a feel of what I'm talking about and how it led me to this point in time where I am now. So growing up, my dad was always a breadwinner. My mom was a stay at home mom. She had four kids. I have three siblings. I don't obviously remember a ton about my early, early, early childhood, but just recently my grandma has been telling me things, a couple of things that went down that I didn't know about that I'm like, oh my gosh, like that could be really affecting my life, having limiting beliefs around money, having, you know, so many things, maybe keeping me stuck, all the things. So I've been working through that. There were times where my family struggled that I didn't know about. So I saw my dad work and my mom stay at home, but my mom was very independent. Like she loved being a mom, but she also kind of wanted her own life outside of my dad and the family and with her friends and whatever. And that was fine. She never really had anything where she made money. At one point she did Pampered Chef. So (laughs) I was like, you know, a network marketing thing. But yeah, it was always my dad making the money. She was the stay at home mom, but she also later on when we were older, you know, she was very independent. She could do whatever she wanted. My dad would support her. She volunteered in the community. She just served the community. She served other people. She would leave the house and she was probably helping someone do something all day long. She didn't have a job, but her job was to help people. The one thing about my mom, though, that has been coming up a lot for me is my mom never, what I witnessed, never thought she was deserving of a lot of things, a lot of nice things. There was always this like, ooh, I shouldn't be getting that much. I shouldn't be receiving this. She would really shrink herself down when it came to nice things 
things or vacations. She never would buy anything for herself first. Like if it came down to anything, she would be like, I want my kids to have stuff before I have stuff. Um, If anyone ever got her a gift, like her immediate question, like literally as she was opening, it was like, was this on sale? You didn't pay this price, right? Like she would see this the sticker tag and she'd be like, you didn't pay this price, did you? So it was always this like, she never thought she was worthy of deserving of having nice things and having money and having a good life. So I've just come to realize that in the last couple of months. So that is something that I witnessed that could definitely be programmed into my mind. But again, never really fully understanding the way it has dictated my life up until now as I'm working through past childhood traumas and trying to uncover and unpack a lot of these things and getting, you know, figuring out how I got to where I am. So I've always worked as soon as I could since I was 15. I'm very independent as well. I like to work. I like to make my own money. I always had a job, maybe two or three. Like when I was going to college, I said it in the podcast before, my parents were like, we will pay for your board, your room and board in college if you live on college campus. And I knew that they were just trying to control me in that because, you know, when you live on college campus, you can't have parties, you can't have alcohol, all the things. So I was like, no, I will get my own job and I'll pay for an apartment myself. And that's exactly what I did. I got a waitressing job. I worked full time. I went to school full time and still managed to have a social life. So I've always been very independent. As we got older, my dad started making more and more money. And I I never really looked at money as a scarcity thing. I mean, it was always just kind of there, like with I ever needed it. (laughs) Like I could be like, hey, dad, I want to go buy an outfit for um, like a dance, you know, in high school tomorrow. And he would just like give me money or give me their credit card. And it was just like, it was never a thought in my mind that there wasn't enough money. Although we didn't have super nice things. Like we were middle class wealthy where we had a nice house, but it wasn't a mansion and it was older. Or like my dad would buy new cars, but they would never be foreign cars. They'd be American made cars or stuff like that. Like we were, had money, but not had money, if you know what I mean. On the other hand, my family, my dad, I don't know who should have been responsible for this, but no one really ever taught us about money, about saving money, spending money, spending habits, or like creating wealth, which I'm looking back and like really... Like, I really wish someone would have taught me that. I really wish I would have learned more about that. My family didn't put us in positions like that. I mean, we're all doing fairly well. I personally believe that you should be setting your kids up for success later in life, whether that be literally with money or showing them, helping them, having them learn about money, saving, spending habits, creating generational wealth. I never got that. After leaving the house, after college, you know, money is still never like a thought in my mind ever. Like money just does not cross my mind. Like I know what to do to make it. I get by, I pay my bills. I have a little bit of fun. I shop, I travel, whatever. But it was never like a lot of money. So I got married and then we split the bills. He paid for most of it because he did make more money. Again, just like I never remember having a serious issue or conversation around money. It was just kind of like, yeah, like this is how it is. So always being an entrepreneur, I've always found ways to make money myself. Then when I got divorced, I moved into my own apartment. I could pay my rent. I could travel. I could shop. Again, again, like money was just never a thought in my mind. It was just like always there. It supported me. It was a resource for me. I could do most things that I want. Of course, I'm not big balling, living it up, but I was happy. I was getting by. I was enjoying my life. I never thought about money. 
It's where the cloudiness comes in and the negative thoughts and the negative emotions is when I got into a toxic relationship and money was always a topic of discussion. Always, always, always. And usually for the bad. So like I said in my podcast, I would do whatever it takes to take care of myself. That is why I got those jobs I wouldn't normally have taken because it was quick money while I could build my fitness exposure while I was in a whole new state, a whole new city. But a narcissistic relationship is a whole other animal. So I am a a recovering codependent. (laughs) I would like to say I'm mostly recovered. And narcissists love a codependent person because they want to have the control in every situation. And a codependent person is way more likely to do whatever they say because that's just who they, we are. I've explained a little bit about this in the It Doesn't End Here podcast. I explained a little bit and my podcast in earlier episodes, but I'm going to give you a breakdown of like what I went through and then talk about the role financial abuse plays in narcissistic relationships. So as I've laid out a few times how childhood programming plays into your life, this is the way that the programming was dictating my life. So since I saw my dad make all the money and my mom not work, but was also independent and was like a servant in the community and could kind of do whatever she wanted. And my dad would just give her money. My belief, not to say that this is right or wrong or good or bad, but this is just what I witnessed and saw. So my belief was that I need a man to take care of the bills and everything while I get to choose what I get to do, but I don't have the stress of the finances, but I still get to contribute to the relationship to the family. Does that make sense? So I'm not saying that this is a good thing. Again, it's just what I witnessed for 25 years of my life and what I perceived a relationship should be. So this is how financial abuse begins. Just like any other form of narcissistic abuse, financial abuse often begins subtly at first and to the victim, it might feel like love. It might feel like concern for you. It might feel like, quote, being taken care of, something a lot of victims report they haven't experienced before. And to me, I had never experienced that before. I never had a boyfriend or even my husband say, I want to take care of you. So often the abuser will offer to handle the finances at first, sometimes even giving the victim an allowance to take care of his or her needs. I always knew that I wanted to make a big impact in the world. And my marriage was never going to give me that satisfaction. He wanted to stay very small, live in the same town, the same house if he could, in his own little bubble, in his own little world. And so eventually I just knew that that wasn't going to work out. So I made the decision to trust my instincts and pursue a big dream, a bigger dream, bigger than myself, bigger than Oklahoma City, out to the West Coast. So when I met someone who was equally as driven as me, actually like way more. He had big dreams. He took care of himself and he was saying how he wanted to take care of me while I get to pursue whatever I want. Do you see how this looked like a shiny carrot to me that I wanted to just like eat up? It was everything I dreamt of when it came to what a relationship looked like. Again, not saying this is good, not saying this is bad, just what I believed. So I immediately got trauma bonded to this person because I was still in trauma to this person who wanted to quote, give me the world. He had already started a business venture when we met. So to me, that was very enticing. Like I said, he was very driven. It was going to be innovative and apparently like world changing. And at the beginning, I was going to these business meetings with him as his like arm candy, obviously. I didn't know any 
anything about this. I didn't know what was going on. So I was, you know, I was really involved in every aspect at the very beginning. That was kind of all we did was like talk about the business, do the business, go to these meetings, whatever. As our relationship was growing, I was supporting him mostly emotionally to build the business. Like I I couldn't really contribute anything business wise. I, I, I didn't know anything. And financially, not really, but I'll get to that in a little bit. There were several times at the beginning of our relationship where he would quote unquote forget his wallet for lunch. That happened several times. So he was like, uh, uh, like acted very surprised. And then he had asked me to help him out a couple of times financially. So when I first met him, he had like a really big house by the beach, but he was moving out of it. But of course, I didn't get that full truth as to why he had to until later. To me, at the time, it was just that his lease was up and he wanted to invest in the business. So he needed a smaller place. So he ended up getting a much smaller place, much, much, much smaller in the same city, but it was like right on the water. You could see the water out out the window. So I was like, okay, well, I've seen the meetings. I've seen the communication about this business. He wants me to be a part of it. So I will do my best to help him. It was kind of like I was getting everything I wanted at the time. Again, I really don't want to make this all about someone else, but I have to give you the context as to how I got into this like very horrible situation. So he thought that he was like too big time to work, actually work. So somehow people were loaning him money, his friends, his family, and he was putting that towards what he needed to survive and the business. But things just kept getting worse. But I was like, well, this is what you have to do. You have to struggle to be successful. And he always instilled that in me. Like from the get-go, you have to struggle to be successful. He would share all these stories about all these successful companies or businesses, like all the struggle they went through to get to where they were. So I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, it doesn't just come handed to you on a silver platter. There's struggle, there's time, there's stress, all the things. So like at the beginning, that's just what it was to me of like, okay, we're just sacrificing like a little bit right now and it's going to get better really soon. He convinced me to move in with him and to sell my car and I could use one of his cars because he had two. So this seemed like a logical thing to do at the time, although it was still very early on in our relationship, but it meant I could move closer to LA where I really wanted to be and pursue some more fitness things. So I sold my Kia Optima for $6,000 and he obviously came with me to that whole process, kind of wanted to control the situation. I didn't know the value of the car really. I was like, I don't know if six grand is okay. And he like, I remember just sitting at the desk with the lady, we sold it to Carfax and they're like, oh yay, like your offer is $6,000. I just looked over at him and he just like nodded his head like, yes, please get the money and let's go. So like that just like the feeling I got was like, yes, like we just need money. So I had to put some of that towards my rent in San Diego that I still had. And then I ended up giving him like over $2,000, like one of like 750 of it was for a business proposal he wanted someone to do. He wanted to hire this person to make a business proposal for the business. So I was like, okay, well, that's logical. That will get us forward. It'll move the needle. And then I gave him $1,500 for bills and basic needs. So he like didn't have his own money at all. So 
There's so much to this story, but just know it just kept getting worse. (laughs) He thought this business should be moving and shaking like right away. Like he needed investors to get it going to scale it to where he wanted it to be. So we started the investment process. But that process, if you've ever been a part of like an investment process or needing investors, it is so strenuous. Like that process takes so much longer than people think, especially in LA where people are really not in a hurry. They take their sweet time. Like they are not in a hurry to be giving you money. So every meeting seemed to be weeks of back and forth, following up, seeing if they were interested. This is when I started to get a lot of anxiety around this. Like we would have a meeting and we like needed an investor so bad. And then it'd be like a week later and they'd be like, oh yeah, sorry, my partner's out of town. He gets back in a week. Let's follow up then. So like another whole week I'd have to wait and then follow up again. They're like, oh yeah. Like it's always some excuse as to why they were just like not saying anything. And it's just like, can you just say if you're interested or not? I remember... I hated the weekends. I absolutely dreaded the weekends because I knew on the weekends, like no one would be working. And so during the week, I was like, ooh, like there's a chance like something could happen today because it's a weekday, people are working, whatever. But on the weekends, I dreaded if if nothing happened all week, I would literally be in the worst mood on the weekend because I was like, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. Like I was literally developing so much anxiety around this situation because he brought me in. He told me he would take care of me. I could pursue my fitness stuff. I'm in trauma. I need to heal myself. I'm mentally not capable of even really pursuing anything I wanted to do because I was just so mentally and emotionally distraught. This person doesn't want to work. He would rather borrow money. And then we're trying to build this enterprise. Like it was just insane, honestly. So this is the time in my life where I started to develop serious money trauma, money beliefs, lack scarcity, all the negative emotions you could have. I started to develop them around this time. As you can see how stressful our life was. I mean, we were literally living penny to penny. It was barely anything. I mean, luckily we survived, whatever, but it was the most struggle I've ever, I've ever been in. Like, honestly, the, the, I would not wish that upon my worst enemy. That struggle went on for like a whole year since meeting him, a whole year of like, let's build this business. Let's struggle because it will all be worth it in the end. And we will have this amazing success story and blah, 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 blah. And that's always how he portrayed it. So as I'm developing anxiety and fear and shame and guilt. He's like, no, this is like what you have to do. So meanwhile, he's just like financially abusing me. I couldn't pay my credit cards, even though, you know, he told me he would help me pay them. I could barely work because of the anxiety that I was developing from this situation. He didn't want to work. It it was just a clusterfuck of of trauma. So towards the first year that we were together, we're building the business. We'd had some investor meetings things are progressing, but still not getting any better. They're progressing, but still really, really bad. He, whoever you want to say is responsible. I'm not trying to say I'm not responsible for any of this, but we just like could not pay the rent. Like we just could not, we would rather, like we had to pay for food. We had to pay for gas. We had to pay for basic needs. So we ended up like for, for months, I, we, we got an eviction notice on the door the exact same day. We had this amazing investor meeting. We come home to an eviction notice on the door and I, 
I immediately freak out. I'm just like, what is happening? Like this cannot be happening. So much anxiety started to build up and I knew what this lady looked like, the landlord. I knew the kind of car she drove. So every time I left the house, I would look out the window and make sure she wasn't there. And then every time I was driving up to the house, I would get so much anxiety thinking that she would be there. So I just, again, started to develop a lot of anxiety around being kicked out and like not having anywhere to go, dogs. And it was just a very scary time. So two months went by and we moved out of the house. The lease was obviously in his name. So I was like, well, at least my name is not on this <laughs> attached to this situation. We ended up going to a hotel. We bought a week there um, on someone else's credit card. It was around Christmas. So I literally felt like Mary on a fucking donkey. <laughs> like trying to find somewhere to stay. Uh, and it was so, it was so horrible. And so we got the hotel and we were like, okay, we're just going to like stay here until we get some money and we can pay ourselves. Like we really were having a lot more meetings and stuff for the business, but it was just getting by. It was literally just get by with what we absolutely need. I'm still a codependent bonded with the narcissist at this point. I still had not done my trauma healing. So to me, this was just the way life was that it has to be hard and you have to struggle to be successful to achieve the kind of things that we together at the time were trying to achieve even though it was mainly his ordeal like obviously what he was doing was not my dream but I was like well that will be the vehicle to get me to be able to pursue what I want to pursue like I'll support him during this time and when everything's kind of cleared and it's going I will be able to work on myself I'll be able to do what I want to do but I think I was just like sacrificing myself because I saw a bigger picture for the future that I was like, well, you know, he'll get what he wants. He'll be successful. And then I will be able to get what I want and pursue what I want to do. We lived in a hotel for seven months because we were just never like financially stable. We were getting little investments here and there. So we had a little money coming in, but the story was always, we don't know when more will come in. So we didn't want to risk getting into a lease. It was easier to pay the hotel weekly and just not have a commitment on it as opposed to a lease. So by the way, most of this year, as we were living in the hotel, he loved to dangle things in my face. Like we would go look at really nice houses for rent and we would go look at cars and test drive them. And like, he was just like straight stringing me along, making me think we could actually get these things when in the back of my mind, I'm like, we have no money. Like how would this ever happen? So that's just another way that like narcissists like to financially abuse you is dangle things in your face and always keep stringing you along and stringing you along for months, years, however long that they decide to do it and however long you're going to stay and take it. Finally, we got a little reprieve and got bigger investments in the business. We had employees, we rented an office, it was like actually finally looking like all the hard work and struggle had quote paid off. So we were able to get a really nice house overlooking the water. To me, it did seem like a little too much at the time. This was very fresh. And I was like, we just got these investments, but we also needed a place to stay. We needed to get out of the hotel. I mean, obviously I loved the house, but to me, it was like, we could have probably gotten something cheaper than than this, you know, just to be safe. But we thought the business was like only going to go up from there. Like the trajectory of how it was going. More bad news set in whenever we thought we closed the cap table because some company did agree to invest the rest of the money, which was like over a million dollars. We thought we were home free. I thought this is the end. This is the end of the lack of the scarcity and the sacrifice we made for almost two years. We got by, but just barely. I really thought the struggle was over. 
as much as the anxiety and fear and guilt and shame that I developed, I really thought that we were out of it. Looking back, I know God was really protecting me from something. I couldn't see it at the time, being so distraught mentally and emotionally. But he was saying, Kayla, this situation is not for you. Because what happened was that money never came. I don't know if it was a scam or what, but all this drama started happening around that little last bit of money. And the people that agreed to invest were really like the middleman for people in I think China or something. And they didn't actually have the money themselves, but they thought they would. So they kept stalling and they signed this you know, investment agreement that this is what they're agreeing to pay, thinking that they're gonna get this money from someone else and then they're gonna give it to us. But the people in China kept stalling and long story short, our struggle, our lack, our scarcity all came back all over again. We had now had this expensive house. We furnished it thinking that this would be the end for a whole other year. That money didn't come. And in the meantime, I sacrificed so much of my life during that time. My car, my mental health, I couldn't pay my credit cards. Like I said, we were living penny to penny. My financial independence was solely on him. And I lost one of the most important things that I had always strived for, gave myself credit for, and that was my financial independence. I was always financially independent since I was 15. And now I let some other person take control of that and I solely relied on him and that's still like one of the biggest regrets that I have one story that comes to mind that's actually really disgusting I mean there were a lot of times that I had to ask him for money which is ladies like please (laughs) never let your financial independence go it's like the worst thing but I I remember being in London with Rachel and we're I don't know out having a girls day and I wanted to buy a Gucci belt I never had one I'd wanted one they were like popular like the time when they were coming out everyone had them so I had to call him and ask him him if I could buy a Gucci belt. That is the saddest thing. I should be able to buy a freaking Gucci belt on my own if I so please. But the fact that I had to ask another man because he was financially taking care of me, which, you know, he so loved that I had to do that. And he was the one giving me that stamp of approval. That makes me so sick. It makes me so sick. So for the little bit of success we had for that, for the short moment that we had it, a couple of months, I was so traumatized from the last year and a half that I almost like couldn't even enjoy it. Your negative emotions don't just go away overnight when something good happens. So I had a really hard time accepting the fact that we quote made it. I mean, like we were definitely way better off. Things were really going well. And then that was so short lived that I went right back into fear, scarcity, anxiety all over again with like we got it in a matter of months and it was again gone in a matter of months. So over time, I saw so much narcissistic tendencies around finances. I couldn't even believe what I was hearing sometimes. He always inflated the truth. He would make everything sound like it was fine and dandy when really we were struggling. He made the business sound way better than it was doing. All these things. I kept silent. That is the role he convinced me to play. Just be the hot girlfriend on his arm, be supportive, don't say anything, let him do his thing. And he always portrayed this life that we really were not living at all. So I say all this to say I developed serious lack 
and scarcity mentalities around money that I am still working on today. And I just actually started this money healing process December of 2021. It all just like came to a head and I didn't know what it was at the time. Broke up with Tyler. I sent him back to Florida. I don't even know what I was thinking. Honestly, I just think that the universe God was like telling me that I needed to be alone. Like I said in the previous episodes, I need to be alone and I need to work on this shit right now. You know, I think I have a big purpose in life. But with anything, you have to believe you are worthy and deserving of it. And I think over time, I developed the feeling of I wasn't deserving, you know, combined with witnessing what my mom did, never thought she was deserving of money, shrunk herself down, always shopped the sale racks. I just always had that instilled in me. So I was never strived for like a lot of wealth. Although I know I can have it. I've just never have been that person that's like, I just want money. So a combination of my childhood and maybe already having some limiting beliefs around money from that, not really being aware of them or conscious of them. Seeing my mom, you know, not think she was deserving of money, not worthy, hated getting gifts, like always shopping the sale racks. I just never wanted a lot of money. And not to say that it's bad to want a lot of money. Since learned that money is not good or bad, it's just a neutral resource to do a lot of good in the world. But I just was like, always shrunk myself back, had a lot of shame. And I just was like, I don't just, I don't know. I don't want to make a lot of money. Like I just never thought I was worthy of it. I always shopped the sale racks. Like I did everything my mom was doing. I put myself out there more as far as like being an entrepreneur, but I still shrunk back if that makes sense. Like I always wanted to make my own money, but I was like, oh, but just not too much. Like I don't need too much money. You know what I mean? So a combination of that and then getting into a toxic relationship that really damaged me, really damaged me financially, just just literally financially, not being able to pay my credit cards, stuff like that. And then like the emotions that set in around that whole situation of lack and scarcity, those emotions can run your life. They can rule your life. If you make every decision from lack and scarcity, what the heck do you think your life is going to be? It's going to be filled with lack and scarcity instead of abundance and prosperity. During that time, I just saw and witnessed so much struggle. Like I inherited beliefs and thoughts I had never had before. And thank God, I, I really didn't conform to his ways so much. What I saw was I need to be successful. I need a lot of money. I walk all over people to get what I want. I lie and cheat to get ahead. I don't think I ever installed those thoughts, thank God, (laughs) but that's just what I witnessed, which is why I always feel like I was so off during that time because I was not in alignment with my true self when I was with that person that it was like clashing. And so that's why I think I was always in a bad mood or not happy because my inner being, my highest self, my, my true self knew deep down that wasn't me. That person was striving to be. And so it was like opposite and it just never really felt right. I know a lot of people suffered because of that same situation. People that I've talked to, you know, since all that happened, we're all trying to freaking recover from that. I think I'm sure he will just keep doing that over and over and over again, because I've talked to people that I didn't even know before I came in the picture and had lengthy conversations with them about how that person being in their life damaged them like still to this day, financially, emotionally, mentally. So when someone wants money for all the wrong reasons, it will either A, be very hard to get for them, or B, easy to get and easy to lose. A narcissist will usually destroy everything in its path to get where they want. All we can do is be mindful mentally strong and conscious of when it might be happening to us. So what is financial abuse? 
If you feel stuck in your relationship because you don't have any access to money, whether you work outside the home or not, you may be dealing with this persuasive kind of domestic abuse that is called financial abuse. So it is a form of domestic abuse that allows a narcissist to control and manipulate you with money in one way or another. So some of these examples include like not allowing you to access your own money, stealing or hiding money from your shared account, controlling your family money or your money, and even restricting the ability to purchase basic needs. According to the National Network to End Domestic Violence, forms of financial abuse may be subtle or overt, but in general, include tactics to limit partners' access to assets or conceal information and accessibility to the family finances. And depending on the situation, some abusers will use this from day one in a relationship, while others will wait until the victim tries to leave before enacting financial control. So if you're anything like me, I didn't know I was being financially abused. I didn't know that this person was ultimately trying to control me, my life, what I was doing, where I was going, who I was with. But here are some signs. You might be experiencing financial abuse by a narcissist. You're not allowed to work. Your narcissist has sabotaged your job opportunities or your actual job by harassing or stalking you at work, and you may have actually lost a job as a result of this. Your family money is controlled entirely by the narcissist. You have no access to your bank account. You're not included in financial decisions, including banking and investments. You're not allowed or encouraged to get job training or seek any kind of schooling or training opportunities. You've had to write bad checks or even to commit financial fraud. Your abuser has run up large amounts of debt and some of it in your name, and you have no say-so about it. You may not even know it at first. In some cases, the narcissist may even refuse to work himself, forcing his victim to support him. And in some cases, he won't even facilitate her taking care of the kids or the other household responsibilities. Your abuser has helped to ruin your credit score. You have been forced to skip paying bills in order to indulge some desire of the narcissist. The narcissist has stolen your identity, property, or inheritance. You've been forced to give up any public benefits you've had, or you've been accused of cheating the system. You've been struggling financially and your ex or soon to be ex has refused to pay child support, the narcissist threatens to leave you or throw you out into the street if you don't comply with his request, which you do because you know that you can't make it without him and he's all too happy to remind you. He tells you you're not pulling your weight even if you're working full time and taking care of the kids. There's still something you're just not getting done to his satisfaction. I don't have all of these or even really most of them, but I do have, I do have some of these. I remember one time I was really lost. I was just so lost. I didn't feel like I had any identity. I didn't feel like I had any purpose. I was just seeking. I was seeking something. And I remember I wanted, I went and checked out um, an esthetician school. And I was like, well, maybe I'll be an esthetician. It would be fun. I could take care of people. I could help people. It would just help my own appearance and skin to get all the benefits of it. And I just remember him talking me out of it and just didn't want me to do it. And like now looking back, I'm like, he just didn't want me to have anything of my own. He really didn't want me to have anything think on my own. A couple things that I went out and did never really helped me to get where I wanted to be, even though from the very beginning, he knew what my goals were. He knew why I was in California and it kind of all got segued back to his goals and his dreams and how he needed the support. So here are five shocking financial abuse facts. Financial abuse is one of the most powerful ways to keep a survivor trapped in an abusive relationship with a narcissist. It makes it very difficult to stay safe if you've left an abuser and it makes it far less 
less likely you'll leave in the first place. In fact, surveys of survivors indicate that their finances are one of the top reasons they stay or return to an abusive relationship. In a study, researchers found that 98% of abusive relationships involve some kind of financial abuse. This is especially true when children are involved, and many people are more likely to tolerate abuse for the sake of the children. Financial abuse is not socioeconomically, educationally, or racially exclusive. It happens across the board. Lastly, I always want to leave you some tips with getting out of a situation, working on your healing journey. These are things that I'm doing in real time that I can't even explain how much this consumes my mind of really trying to beat and get past these emotions that have been ingrained in me. It's all that consumes my mind. I have so many triggers that pop up every single day around money that I'm now having to learn to, you know, I say cancel or change. When a negative thought comes up, I immediately say cancel, change that thought. I don't believe that thought. So over time, you just have to change your neurological brain patterns into what you really want. So that is totally possible by repetition, by habit, continuing this process. And it's literally conscious work every single day. I think I've cried more in the past five months than I did all last year. I just cry because it's it's so difficult and it's so difficult when you know you are worthy of something else deserving of something else you don't have it yet and like really deep down beliefs about yourself that have been ingrained in you because of another person or a situation is hindering you and so it's hard work it's conscious work it's conscious work to be aware of your thoughts every time you switch a thought over time the less and less and less and less you will think that thought so it's been five months I've grown I've definitely gotten so much better about my negative thinking when it comes to money, my situation and my finances, but it's still, it's still daily work. Here are some ways to start your healing process around financial abuse. So step one to healing your financial abuse. Right now, we got to stop doing any more destruction to your finances. So any like bad habits that you develop, spending habits you developed or whatever, we just have to enforce that ultimate boundary right now of like no more. We cannot do any more destruction to our finances. So just stopping that in its tracks completely, learning to do better and get better. Also, if you are trying to leave a narcissistic relationship, whether that be a boyfriend or a husband, just know you have no idea exactly what they are capable of doing in regards to like your personal items if you are leaving a narcissist know that anything of value if left behind the narcissist can and will find a way to use it and keep you hooked for their supply or even sold out from underneath you have a plan have things removed when the narcissist doesn't know and then store them where they cannot find them so that's another another step you could take Step two, don't try to make a deal. So those who have experienced narcissistic financial abuse, try to smooth things over, be nice, cut a deal, come to an arrangement and the like. So all this does is keep feeding the narcissist energy and keeps you hooked into them. They are not interested in playing fair, doing the right thing or making arrangements. They simply want you to hurt and them to win and gain the egoic significance of knowing that they have you caught up in their web. So I had to do this. Like when I left, 
The reason actually I stayed way longer than I did is because I was owed money. I've said it multiple times. I was owed money, life-changing money, life-changing money that could really give me a fresh start, not having to be forced to live with my grandma and not having to not have a car, like all these things. So I stayed way longer than I had to because I wanted that. I thought I deserved it. I struggled for it. I sacrificed for it. I did so much shit and I left with nothing. So in the end, I was like, even when after I left, I was still freaking nice to him. I was one foot in, one foot out with him because I was like, he owes me this money. He owes me this money. I'm going to be nice to him until he gives it to me. And guess what? Never freaking got the money. So they do not care how much you are hindered. If it doesn't benefit them, they do not care. Step three, make peace with what you have lost or are going to lose. (laughs) Again, this is me. So as we know, narcissists love to take your money and your stuff and hold it over you to keep you hooked to them. If you have no way of legally retrieving what is yours, except it's not coming back to you. So again, like I just chose to accept it. After I left, it was about six more months of the emotional financial abuse, even still, like even still promising me every other week, you're going to get your money, you're going to get your money. So I just kept hanging on and kept hanging on. And I just finally had to make peace with it. I just, I could not emotionally stand to be in that situation any longer. I was literally across the country from him, but I felt even worse doing that. So I just had to make peace with the fact that I was never going to get that money. And that was it. Step four, fully commit to the healing process. This is where you can turn inwards to make your greatest mission, vocation, and purpose about healing, self-integrating, and valuing your soul, which is what I'm doing right now. Through narcissistic financial abuse and losing all that we thought was us, we get to release the identity hold of our ego and come home to truly loving ourselves unconditionally without props, just as ourselves. When you heal through these layers, the relief is indescribable. Regardless of what you do or don't have yet, I can't tell you what happened for me when I accepted this as my greatest necessity and all else took a backseat. For the first time, I started to rejoice in the wealth of the small things and gratitude literally filled my incredibly humble life. The support and love that started entering my life genuinely for really the first time in, in my life was like overwhelmingly beautiful. And finally, I was present enough to see it and be with it. Step five, heal your deficient money beliefs. This is a really important step that many people miss after narcissistic financial abuse. If you just try to push on and get back out there in the world to recover the money and the resources you lost and you're not truly honoring yourself, your recovery will be missed. I think this is why God was really getting everything out of my life. Everything I knew and it just put me alone in this city by myself, this apartment by myself. And it was like, you have to recover from this. Your recovery will be missed if you do not work on this step. Yes, it's true that we must survive and we have to have food on the table. I have to have gas in my car. I have to have the roof over my head. So do that, but take the pressure off yourself to fly and succeed. Your wings are broken and need to mend before you can fly again. Then you will be able to be aligned with abundance and flow without fear. 
Again, this is something I'm working on. I really feel like my wings are broken. I feel like they are on the mend. Yeah, I, I just, that's like the only way I can explain it. My my wings are broken. I need to mend them before I can fly again with abundance and prosperity. And I have to get those beliefs. Well, at first I have to rebuild the beliefs to even get to a healthy point. And then I have to go exceedingly beyond that and you know, get past what my mom instilled in me and really, really, really think I'm deserving of abundance and wealth and prosperity because at the end of the day money is just a neutral resource it's not good or bad and I want to make a big impact in the world and I need money to do that I don't want money for selfish reasons to buy things materialistic things whatever I want money because it is a resource to support me so I can support others and then lastly become who you are truly meant to be so while I'm healing, while I'm recovering, while I'm aligning with my with my soul, with my true self, you know, what I'm doing now is like it's covering my basic needs, but it's not going to be like this forever. It's just a wave. It's just a wave that I had to go through where I'm barely keeping my head above the water so I can truly prosper. As I've been releasing trauma and I'm healing, I'm starting to ask myself like these kind of questions. Who am I? What lights me up? What do I want to unfold from within me to make a difference? And what what unique contribution can I make? So I think by doing this podcast, I'm answering a lot of those questions. The screen cover that I have on my phone, be the type of woman that tells other women they can do what she did too, and probably even better. That is what I'm here to do. If I can do this, anyone can do this. If you can heal from any trauma you have, maybe it's not financial. Maybe it's something else that you went through, but you can heal. You can mend your broken wings. You can fly. You can soar. You can have everything you want in this life. You can create anything you want in this life. I refuse to back down. I refuse to give up. I know when things are not aligning. Like I just, I don't even know how to describe it. I just know if I'm in a place and I'm like, this isn't it. I am very quick to trust my instincts, trust my gut, either move on or work on it. Like I have no shame working on my healing. I have no problem being alone for five months, crying almost every single day, healing, reprogramming my thoughts. I don't have any problem with it because I know it's only for the greater good. I know it's only for my highest self. I know that I will come out of this. I know it's just the waves of life that you have to go through. I plan on riding the biggest wave in life. You guys just wait. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.